0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. So praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail. Snow and clouds, stormy winds that do His bidding. You mountains and all hills. You animal and all cattles. Fruit trees and all cedars. Small creatures and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all nations. You princes and rulers of the earth. Young men and maiden. Old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For His name alone is exalted. And His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And He has raised up for His people a horn. The praise of all His saints of Israel, the people close to His heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise in the assembly of His saints. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their King. Let them praise Him with dancing and make musing to Him with tambourine and harp. For listen... The Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hearts to inflict vengeance on the nation and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles of shackles of irons, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of His saints. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father God, we confess today that we do not praise you as we ought. That the way the men of old praised you and worshipped you is often lost on us. Father, I pray that you would be merciful in our lack of love for you. That you would kindle in our hearts a desire for you as our greatest joy, not these lesser things that we chase after. Father, I pray that as we begin to study from the Psalms what true worship looks like, that You would be at work, that You would be active, that Your Spirit would be powerful beyond our feeble attempts to understand You, and that You would awake within us a passion for nothing more than Your glory in all the earth. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. It's pretty clear in the Psalms that God commands His people to praise Him. You could go through psalm after psalm and hear the command of God to praise Him for all of the earth, all nations, all people to praise Him for everything that has breath. The Scriptures would even tell us that if we do not praise Him, the rocks would cry out. That all of creation rings with the praise of God. That the glory of God is evident through everything that surrounds us. And so God has commanded us. He has created us for His glory to worship Him. It's our highest end and our greatest joy is a command to praise Him. C.S. Lewis, in his wrestling of coming to faith, dug into the Psalms and and he, he said that this command of God to praise the Lord was actually something that troubled him a good bit as he wrestled with his faith. He said it seemed to him that God's command for praise in the Psalms felt somewhat like a a woman constantly craving compliments, as if she could never get enough. And this was a real problem for him. And then he goes on to explain what he discovered and why he realized he was wrong. This is what he said. The most obvious fact about praise, whether God or of anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of praise in terms of compliment or giving approval. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. He said the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their beloved. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses, but completes our joy. So C.S. Lewis rightly pointed out that praise is something that naturally happens when we truly love something, when we're passionate about something. I am, against all good judgment, an avid Cowboys fan. I have been since I was a small child. Even though we lived closer to Houston, uh, we were Cowboys fans. I can remember uh, the 1-15 in 15 season as a kid, locking myself in my room most Sunday afternoons because the Cowboys, well, they just kept losing but I've always been a cow. fan. And if we had a conversation about sports, if we sat down, I would tell you every year why I think this is the year. Right, This is the year we're going to win it. And I could tell you why I think Tony Romo is a playmaker. I could give you all these things about my team. Why? Because I'm passionate about the Dallas Cowboys. It's misguided passion, but it's present. And, and, and all of you are the same way. Uh, have you ever met someone who's, who's in the early stages of a relationship with a girlfriend or boyfriend, and when their friend asks about it, you know, they're kind of okay. What, what you hear is, is this person just keeps talking about this other person. Before I had a serious girlfriend, I remember my friends coming on, oh, this girl's so great. I'm like, can you just be quiet about this girl? I'm really not that interested. In, can we talk about something else? Are we going fishing? Are we going to do something... Fun because I'm tired of hearing about this girl. This is what happens when we become excited about something. When something touches us deep in our soul, becomes important and valued to us, is we can't help but praise it. We can't help but share that love of it with other people. And so the command to praise in the Psalms is less about God saying, give me compliments, and more about us rightly esteeming and knowing who God is and His position in our heart as preeminent and greatest And our highest joy. And when that occurs, all of a sudden praise becomes spontaneous for us. It's it's no longer forced. In many cases, it's effortless and overflowing. And to be honest, sometimes obnoxious to others around us who don't share that same joy. And so the command to praise in the Psalms. We're going to think of this in terms of God saying, rightly esteem me. View me as your highest and greatest joy. And when our hearts are fully devoted to God. This kind of praise is a natural result. Look at Psalm 16, verse 11. It's a Psalm of David. And David is one of the psalmists who sings praise to God all the time. And and this is what you see at the beginning of this, at the root of David's heart in verse 11. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And so David's source of joy, of pleasure, of hope, is at the right hand of God, in the presence of God. He says, this is where I go. I go to you, Father, for joy. And so David delights in his God, and because of that, he writes songs of praise. He proclaims the deeds of God. The psalmists see God rightly as their source of greatest joy and the satisfaction of their deepest longings. In the psalms as well, in Psalm 42, 63, and 36, you see God uh, as something that people long for. The description is of, of, of them thirsting after God. Not just like I'm a little thirsty, like I've got dry mouth, but in a desert environment where water is a premium and people could die of thirst and dehydration. David says, in that environment, with that kind of hunger and thirst and, and, and need, I look for God. And then Psalm 36 would say, he's the satisfaction of that thirsting. And so the psalmists longed for God. They desired to be near him and to see his glory. And because of that, they praised him out of the overflow of their hearts. Now, psalms demonstrate praise in a couple ways. And we're going to spend two weeks on praise in the Psalms. This week is on what we call declarative praise. That's the category that that the Bible scholars put it in. Declarative praise is when someone would stand up and declare the deeds of God. And say praise God because he did this and this and this. So you're declaring what God has done. Uh, Next week we'll look at descriptive praise. Where the the, the worshipper begins to praise God less for what he's done and more for who he is. So looking at his nature, his characteristics and saying God you are so good to us. I praise you for being this way. So... Declarative praise declares the deeds of God. Descriptive praise describes the character of God. And for both, we should worship Him. This week, we'll look at declarative praise. We've already done Psalm 50, but if you would turn there. In verse 2 of Psalm 50, the psalmist implores Israel to praise God for two things. It says, praise him for his acts of power and his surpassing greatness. And that's essentially the categories we're looking at. One is his acts of power, the deeds that he has done, the redemption that he has brought. And the other is his surpassing greatness, his nature and character that amazes us. And so we praise God for all things, beginning today with what he has done. And we talk about what God has done. There's a few ways to look at that. First of all, we could talk about our own stories. Many of us could tell our testimony and and look to the deeds of God in our own life. So there's a personal element about what God has done for me. And then there's this element that you see in the Psalms as well that's about what God has done for us. It's a collective sense of what God has done for the community. So we could say this for the church, what God has done for Tombaugh Bible Church. We can look at His faithfulness over the last few years. We can look at His steadfastness, His blessing upon us, and we could remind ourselves of that. We could also look personally and say, what has God done for me? And so there's two elements of it. You see David in Psalm 21 personally praising God for who, what he has done in his life. David, as the king, ha, has some particular prayer concerns that he has continually brought to God and, and demonstrates that God answers these prayers in Psalm 21. He says, O Lord, the king rejoices in your strength. How great is his joy in his, in his victories you give. You have granted him the desire of his heart and have not withheld the request of his lips. You welcomed him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him, length of his days forever and ever. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great and you have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with joy of your presence. The the king trusts in the Lord. Through his unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken." Your hand will lay hold of my enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. At the time of your appearing, you will make them like a fiery furnace. In His wrath, the Lord will swallow them up, and His fire will consume them. them. You destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed, for you will make them them turn their backs. When you aim at them with a drawn bow, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing praise to your might. You know, David as the king has some particular things. He's led men into battle. He's praised God for the victories that God delivered. He says, you you made me king. You've given me long life and great joy in your presence. And so Psalm 21 for David is a very personal praise to God about what he's done in his life. And then he looks forward expecting God to continue to be good and provide and God to continue to be righteous and the protector of his people and his king. And David says, you have been exceedingly good to me i have joy because of you i've had victory in battle and the kingdom is safe and the future is secure because of you and you alone and there's also psalms where the community praises god where we thank god not only for what he's done for us individually but personally in psalm 66 you'll see this verses 1 through 16 Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name and make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Come and see what God has done. How awesome His works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land and they passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in Him. He rules forever by His power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. For our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads, and we went through the fire and water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you Vows my lips promised and my oath spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you in offering of rams and bull as in goats. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what God has done for me you see this, he begins to tell the story of what God has done. He said, we were slaves, we were heavy under the hands of the Egyptians, and you brought us out, even though it was a refining fire, and it tested us, and tried us, you brought us out. And then he begins to tell the story of the Red Sea, and says, you brought us through the sea on dry land, and we walked across it. And he praises God, not only for his personal acts in their lives, but throughout the history of their people, creating them as a nation, establishing them in the land, delivering them from slavery. And he says, Praise Praise God for what he's done for us. And over and over again, if you look at the, at the writings of the Israelite people, not just in the Psalms, when they're going to look back in history to God's hand, you're going to see one story stand out above everything else. There are other stories that get retold, but the one that is the most prominent, that gets retold over and over again, is the story of the Exodus, where the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, the most powerful empire in world history, and God through the leading of a shepherd who had been exiled, delivered them with great acts of power and mighty deeds against the Egyptians because they would not relent. And then when delivering them, he gave them a way through the ocean. They walked through the sea on dry land. He gave them food and provided guidance for them and his presence. And so over and over again, the people of Israel in the Psalms, as well as in other historical writings, are going to remind themselves of the hand of God in the Exodus. They celebrate the Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread as a reminder of God's hand upon them, leading them out of slavery. So over and over again, ingrained in the people, is this Exodus story. Typically, the Psalms will go there. Sometimes they only allude to it, like Psalm 18 just talks about the mountains trembling and the smoke as God spoke from the mountain delivering the law. Other Psalms will be explicit and lengthy in telling the story. Psalm 78, Psalm 105 is extremely long, telling the Exodus story for use in worship so that the people could be reminded of what God has done. And so over and over again, the people are going to go back And say, God, you have done this for us. You have done this for us. We are to praise God for his mighty deeds. It is a command. Now the question then becomes, why should we do this? Why should we wake up desiring to praise God for all that he has done? Desiring to be aware of what he has done for us. The the first would be because we delight in what God has done for us. That, that's the root of praise, is the light, that, that we rejoice in what God has done, that we praise Him for who He is and what He's done, and so this is a natural thing for us. Look at Psalm 26, you'll see this in the life of the psalmist. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8. David says, I wash my hands in innocence... And I go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Does does this seem like to David he's had to set an alert on his Blackberry to remind him to praise? And and when the alert went off, he was like, ah. And he hit the snooze and said, we'll we'll come back in about five minutes and then we'll do this. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, maybe the next... Day. Maybe we could push this out. I know I need to get this done, but it can wait. Or do you see an entirely different emotion with David? Where he begins to proclaim a desire to be in God's presence, to proclaim aloud his praise, to tell people the wonderful things God has done. A desire to be in the place of God's presence and have joy there. This is important, guys. For David, praising God is not even needed as a command. I mean, it's a command to be sure, but you don't even need to tell David to do it. Because he loves God and he's amazed with what God has done. That's why he calls, he says, I want to tell people of your wonderful deeds. That adjective, wonderful, indicates not only that they're impressive, but that David loves them. Like David loves what God has done, so it's easy for David to praise him. In fact, it's difficult for David at times in life not to. David and other Psalms will talk about trying to keep his mouth shut and being unable to. He desires to praise God. It's a compulsion because God has changed his heart and he loves him. The Psalms will use the phrase praiseworthy deeds, that God has done things that if we rightly see them, we would desire to praise him for doing them. And so the first reason that we would praise God, that we would sing songs of declarative praise, that we would tell people about what God has done for us, is because we delight in what He's done. The second's a little tougher. God threatens destruction if we will not delight in Him. In Psalm chapter 28, Verses 4 through 6. Repay them for their deeds, for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring back upon them what they deserve. Since they show no regard for the works of the Lord and what his hands have done, he will tear them down and never build them up again. He says you don't show regard, you don't delight in what God has done. There is a threat in the scriptures of God's hand being against you. So we are to delight in God if our hearts have been transformed. But if we do not delight in God, if our hearts have not been changed, God's hand is strong against us. And what this indicates, guys, just to be clear about this, a heart that doesn't delight in the deeds of God is an indication that it's a heart that hasn't been transformed and set free from sin. And so to be just clear about this, those of us who who have not trusted in Christ, who have not delighted in the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose again those who have not done that are still under their sin and because of that still under condemnation and God's hand is against them and what happens when someone moves from this position of being under God's wrath to being an adopted child is the Holy Spirit awakens the heart to receive the gospel with joy and so when the Holy Spirit does that one of the things that takes place is a theological term called regeneration it means to take this heart that was dead to the things of God and to give it new life and so a heart that has not been regenerated, that has not been transformed by the Holy Spirit, is indicator of a heart that has not received the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that we never have other desires. I'm not saying that we don't struggle with sin as believers. But if there is no passion for God, no zeal for God, no love for the gospel, no recognition of the praiseworthy deeds of God within someone, even if they said a prayer, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're probably not believers. So that's the indication that God gives is, is, look, if your heart has been transformed, you desire the deeds of God, you are His child. But if you have not, His hand is against you. The third reason that we would sing songs that have of declarative praise is because remembering God's deeds in the past will fuel our faithfulness for today. Go to Psalm 78. This is one of my favorite psalms. I would encourage most fathers out there to try to commit this one to memory. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. Listen, my people, hear my teachings, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter hidden things, things from old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will, pr- we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established a law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, and they would put their trust in God and not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. Do you see this? Telling them of the deeds of God would inspire them to keep His commands. They would put their trust in Him. Now, this is there's two different ways you can look at this idea of remembering. One, I think, is a bit misguided and one, I think, is spot on. One way that I think is a little off that we frequently hear is that when we look at God's deeds in the past, we should be grateful. And out of gratitude for what God has done, we should be obedient. Gratitude is a good thing. But you will struggle to find it in the Bible used as a motivation for faithfulness and obedience. What you will tend to see is faith as the means of transformation. So we're not encouraged here to be grateful, although being grateful is good. It's a natural thing that should happen when we see what God has done for us. But what he says is, tell your children, tell your children's children so that the next generation will know, so that they will put their trust in God, so that they will have faith in Him. It goes a little bit like this. They will hear the deeds of God, they will trust Him, they will remember, and they will be obedient. Obedience for today and tomorrow is more about my faith in God's continued hand upon me than it is my looking back with thanksgiving as if I can repay him. So, obedience today isn't a desire to repay Jesus for the cross. We can't repay him. That was the whole point of the cross, is that there was a debt we could not pay. And so trying to repay it day in, day out, takes the grace of God, turns it into a mortgage. And that's not what we're saying to do in Psalm 78. We're saying, remember what God has done so that you'll trust Him because faith is built upon history with God so that you can be obedient because you know He'll be present as well. He says that's the reason that you should go forward. Go down in verse 15 of Psalm 78 and you'll see this again. Telling the story of the Exodus, it says, He split the rocks in the desert and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against Him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. And then look at verse 22. It gives us the reason that they rebelled against God, not because they were ungrateful. It says, For they did not believe in God or trust in His deliverance. They didn't have faith in Him. Even though He had shown Himself worthy of their trust and faith, they did not trust Him and were disobedient. And so we remind ourselves of the deeds of God, yes, because we'll have gratitude and joy, but primarily because reminding ourselves of His constant presence, His faithful goodness, and His surpassing power is what is necessary for us to be obedient today and tomorrow. It's a forward looking faith based upon history with God where we can trust in His presence and power and His kind intention towards us. And the fourth that I think has become increasingly important to me over the years is that future generations might know. That's one of the reasons that Psalm 78 says we declare the praiseworthy deeds of God. So that our children and our children's children might know. See, the spread of the gospel isn't just geographical, right? We're clear that it is that. There's Acts 1.8, eight tells us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That all people, all nations, all tribes might rejoice in him. Because listen to this, there are people all over the world, over a billion people in this world, who will, unless someone goes to them with the gospel, will die in a Christless state and go into a Christless eternity. And their worship and glory goes to things like idols, and worshiping their ancestors, or if they're like us, things like their money, but all of their glory, all of their worship is bound up in these things that do not deserve it. We believe that Christ is worthy of all praise and worship. That's the message of the Psalms, and He is not presently getting it. And He is worthy of it. And our desire is that people everywhere would worship Christ because He is worthy of their worship. And He is the only one exalted above the heavens and the earth. And so there are people all over the world who have yet to hear the name of Jesus or the gospel message. We desire for them to hear it. Because Jesus is worthy of their praise too. And because we don't want to see what will happen to them if they don't hear the gospel and respond in faith. So there's a geographical component, but there's also a generational one. It's not just to the ends of the earth, but to the ends of the earth for a thousand generations if necessary until Jesus returns. It's very clear in the scriptures that the rearing of godly offspring is significant and important. That those of us who are parents, God has entrusted us with these little munchkins that at times are very obnoxious and at other times are extremely cute. But either way, they bear the image of God. And God has entrusted them to us. He's entrusted the gospel message to us so that these kids might rightly respond to Jesus in faith and worship Him for a lifetime. And Psalm 78 says a key component to that is you, mom and dad, grandparents, aunts, uncles, Sunday school teachers, small group members, sharing with them the story of God's goodness personally and communally. And some of the parents here have been delivered from some significant sin. And I get that. And I'm going to have to wrestle with that as my kids get older. Like, how much of my testimony and when should I share it? When when should they know just how wretched their father is absent the grace of God? But guys, they deserve to hear it. They deserve to know the wonderful deeds of God, his redemptive power, his ability to transform and take that which was wretched and sinful and make something of it that is valuable and honors Christ. They deserve to hear it. And he says, so for the next generation to know so that the gospel will continue to spread, tell your children and your children's children the praiseworthy deeds of God. They need to know. And if you don't tell them, no one likely will. The numbers in America say that if a young person hasn't heard the gospel before 13, the probability of them receiving it is highly unlikely. Now, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is limited by probabilities. I want to be clear on that. But it's significant to understand these formative years where you can impress upon them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. And so we should engage in declarative praise for, for four key reasons. One, because we should delight in God. It's evidence of a transformed heart. Two, because God threatens destruction if we don't. Three, because remembering his past deeds will fuel our obedience. And four, because our children and our children's children need to know. So the question becomes, do we have cause for this kind of praise? Has God done something personally or communally for us that we should worship him in this way? You see, the Psalms go to the story of the Exodus. And I don't know about you, but I didn't see the pillar of fire. I didn't witness the plagues of Egypt. I didn't see the firstborn of Egypt die. I didn't walk through the Red Sea. I didn't get guided through the will, I didn't see any of those things. And so the question is, what do we look to? What I can tell you is that while the people of, Egypt were, people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, that at one point I was a slave to sin. And while the people of Israel were stuck facing the Red Sea, I can tell you one time I was drowning in my sin, unable to do anything to get out of that predicament. And where God made a way across the Red Sea for them to come through, through dry land, by the blood of Christ, a way was made for me to be redeemed from my sin. Not only to be forgiven, but through the Holy Spirit to be given power to overcome it. And so a way had been made. And I didn't wander through the wilderness, but I have been there. And I didn't go into the promised land with Joshua. But because of the blood of Christ, I've been given welcome into God's rest, and one day we'll await a heavenly city where we will be with God forever, finally in the ultimate and greater promised land. And so, no, I did not experience the exodus, but I have a hope that is much greater. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Christian's hope is described and what God has done for us. Beginning in verse 3 in Ephesians 1, it says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given to us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through, the, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. In Him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything to conformity with the purpose of His will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be through the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So, no, I didn't see the exodus. But in Christ I've been chosen. Before the world was even created, before I was even conceived by my parents, God the Father looked down on me, knowing my sinful state, and called me to Himself. And that in the heavenly places I've been given every spiritual blessing through Christ Jesus. And by His sovereign hand, He has drawn me out of the family of the world, which is under the father of lies, Satan. And He has put me into His family as a dearly loved adopted son. Because of His goodness, not because of anything I have done. It's pleased Him to love us in this way. Death once passed over because of the blood of a spotless lamb, but now because of the great sacrifice of Jesus, all sin is forgiven once and for all for those who trust in him. He has lavished upon us grace and the riches of his mercy that we do not deserve. The Scriptures say not only that, we were chosen by the Father to believe in Christ, to come under His authority that we might delight in Him and be a part of His body. And having believed, hearing the message that in the death of Jesus, the punishment for our sin was laid upon Him and God's wrath was poured out and that His resurrection demonstrated His victory over sin and the hope of eternal life. That in those realities, that when we trust in that, we were brought to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was sent to us as a seal, guaranteeing our hope of heaven. Guaranteeing it. And here's the big picture, guys, about this declarative praise, where we recount the deeds of God, is that it forces us to recognize that we didn't do it. It wasn't us. The point of it for Israel was to look back at this great kingdom, and then to go, you know what, we didn't do that. If there was ever a moment they began to trust in themselves, they could go to the Exodus story and say, you're right, God, it was you. It was you all along. It's not because we're awesome. It's not because David's a great military strategist. It's not because Solomon's so smart and went to a great school and he's an Ivy Leaguer. It has nothing to do with any of that. God, you and you alone have done this. And when we look at our own salvation, when we look at the hope we have in Jesus, there's no place for us to take any credit because the scripture over and over again says God did this. And the implication is we didn't. The only thing I contributed to my redemption was the sin for which I needed to be redeemed. That was it. That's all I brought to the table was sin and filth and God took it and cleansed me. He says, God did this. Whatever is good, whatever joy you have, whatever hope you have, God accomplished. That's the big idea behind this declarative praise is that we praise God and we remind ourselves over and over again We didn't do this. I want to be clear today. Some of you are utterly lost. You don't even know that. But you haven't trusted in Jesus. Maybe you're longing for a relationship with God. And you don't know where to begin. I'm going to tell you, you can't do this. Um, You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't polish up enough or behave well enough that all of a sudden God's going to decide to love you. The beautiful thing is that in Christ, God already took the first step. God just chose to love you. And he sent his only son to die on the cross to receive the punishment for your sin that you deserved. And then, by faith in him, by trusting him, That He died for your sins and rose again. God adopts you into His family. Not because you've done anything. Not because you've been good enough. Not because you were smart enough to figure it out. Because His Holy Spirit reached into you and pulled you near. And it's my prayer that right now that very same reality is happening. That the Holy Spirit is drawing men and women and children to faith in Jesus. To a hope of heaven and to a family here and now that will love and care for them under the headship of Christ. To invite you to place your trust in him this morning. It you don't have to walk an aisle to do that. You don't have to say particular words. The big idea is that you cry out to God, proclaiming your faith in Jesus, his death on the cross, pleading with him to be your Savior, to redeem you. And when that prayer is given to God, it's answered. When that moment of faith happens, you become a child of God. Not because of you. But solely because of him. And maybe a word to the people that have been Christians for a while. That by the power of the Holy Spirit have gone through a lot, grown a good bit. Right. And and you look back maybe at the sins you struggled with once and you see your victory over that. It's very easy, once cleaned up, to forget to be what it's to be like, someone who's just at the beginning. The distance between the starting point and where you are today, you didn't do either. I mean, yes, you you gave some effort, but the Holy Spirit was the, was the strength behind that effort. There's no source for pride between those who have been in the faith and grown and overcome great things and those that still struggle because in the end, it's, it's God that brought us from one point to the other. God did this. So rather than being prideful about our current state, we should be humble about our shortcomings and praise God for His gracious hand upon us that has transformed us. Let's pray, and then we'll have a time to worship him. And I pray that we would worship him with the passion and desire that his glory deserves. Father God, we thank you that you are infinitely good to us, that you are patient with us when we praise you too weakly. When we don't recognize what you have done for us, and when we think we have done things on our own. Father, I pray that you'd be merciful that your glory would be present with us as we worship, that your spirit would be active, and that your son Jesus would be lifted up in the eyes of those who don't yet know him, that they might trust in him and experience the joy of salvation. And for those of us who have worshipped him for either a short while or a long while, that we would see Jesus again as our greatest joy and our highest goal, so that we would worship him rightly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.